This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Uh, tonight on the show, um, it's a duo. Um, Joe, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing quite well this evening. How are you? I'm really well. Uh, it's good to be inside. I feel like uh, winter is starting to kind of kick in a little bit um, and we can no longer deny it uh, here in Melbourne. So um, no place I'd rather be. Scarf season. It is scarf season. I saw someone today with uh, a massive scarf that looked like um, a plait from Rapunzel. She actually looked like um, the Lenny Kravitz. Uh, I was meme. just going to say Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I couldn't take my eye off it all day. Um, I'm Warren Davies. I'll, I'll be with you tonight as well. Um, we've got some interesting stuff uh, on the show tonight. Um, if you've ever given thought to how, um, I guess, uh, all parts of Australia are represented in the technology space, uh, we're going to be talking to some people who have been um, working um, with Indigenous people and technology. And there is a, um, a show on the road at the moment um, with a great uh, prize, um, getting some people over to America um, to talk about uh, how Australia does technology. So we'll be having a chat with uh, Dean and Celeste um, a little bit later in the show. Uh, we've also got um, some other bits and pieces that we want to talk to uh, in the second half, which we'll let you know about uh, as they come up. But before we get there, uh, there is a bit of news um, happening uh, in Australia and around the world. If you've been checking your email um, in the past few days, um, specifically leading up to May 25, you may have come across the initials um, GDPR. Um, it kind of actually, Joe, reminds me a little bit of um, maybe a sort of country behind the um, communist yeah. curtain. Oh, GDPR, I've picked up another 12 gold medals, um, probably in gymnastics. But um, it's not actually about that. It's the um, general general data protection regulation, um, I think, um, from, from memory. But it is a big thing and it's um, something that crept up on a lot of places. Um, it's um, essentially an EU um, regulation um, um, put in place to protect our data um, and our privacy uh, for individuals within the European Union. And the reason it matters to um, a lot of us is because a lot of the um, platforms and services that we use um, obviously do have a large footprint in the EU. So it's a little bit like um, the Y2K thing from from way back when, where um, all these organisations have been kind of scrambling to get ready for it and doing their best. Um, so I actually had this really annoying thing where I was in this um, Google platform and they wouldn't let me do anything until I went through kind of like all these updates to their privacy policy and whatnot. The most annoying thing was it was this terrible yellow colour with like fuzzy bold black text over the top of this bright yellow. I think they realised it was the most annoying thing that they could put in front of me to make me do something. What was that? I haven't had anything like that. Oh, it was in, um, yeah, just one of the Google backend services. Oh, uh, right. Um, yeah, they just wouldn't let me proceed. They're very good at doing that. Um, but it is a good thing, um, a GDPR. Um, so it supersedes the Data Protection Directive, um, which has been in place for a, a long time. And, um, yeah, I, I guess sort of post um, Cambridge Analytica, um, it's nice to feel that... Um, in whatever form, there are blocks like the EU um, who are doing a lot to kind of protect our privacy and, and how our data is used and, and managed by services. Am I right in um, thinking that it contains legislation around how transparent organisations have to be around yeah. what they're collecting and how they're using it? Yeah, exactly right. So um, uh, things like disclosure, um, how you get access to it, um, uh, sort of downloading your data and, and, and so forth. So it's primarily around um, 
there is a uh, data protection uh, officer in an office, the DPO. Um, there's things around compliance, um, things around what they need to do in terms of data breaches for reporting. Um, I know we're talking about a, a big story recently um, where um, there were these breaches, I think the three large bre- breaches over a year, um, and nobody had done anything about it or in. Um, told people it was one of the biggest breaches as well. It was something like seventy million records uh, for people in the states, but also yeah, around um, storage and access to, to personal data as well. So um, we'll tweet out some stuff. There's a good piece in the conversation um, about what it means. Um, so if you do, if you are interested in um, how your data is um, used and protected and um, made available, um, GDPR, even though it is kind of over there, um, it is something that we um, do need to be mindful of. Um, one of the other kind of, uh, I guess, um, outcomes um, around um, the GDPR is um, what it's been doing for, um, uh, I guess, startups and uh, consumers um, who like to shop online a lot. Um, so, yeah, um, well, it's actually kind of tied in with um, net neutrality as well. There's been a, a, a few movements kind of – you've got net neutrality on um, one side of things, which is restricting um, how we use the pipes and who's in control of the pipes and kind of um, – there's a great kind of um, metaphor for kind of spiders sitting at the centre of the web. Um, if you see the web as a web um, and we've got these kind of nasty spiders sitting in there, um, you know, I, I guess that makes us flies and, and um, various critters. But um, so you've got that going on and you've also got um, organisations um, tightening up um, their privacy regulations and um, putting in, I guess, more complex and more sophisticated um, opt-ins to their services. Um, we've actually seen a decline um, in some spots for um, people shopping online. So signing up to services um, um, and I, I guess find, feeling it's too hard or actually being concerned about what's going on with um, so people are thinking about it for the first time, um, which is good. So hopefully it's a, a bit of a blip there where we'll just see people going, oh, actually, do I really need those Yeezy sneakers or whatever? Um, <laughs> this seems a bit complicated to me. Um, uh, I think that'll smooth um, smooth out as well. But um, yeah, in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, startups, um, free and easy use of data is one of the kind of... Um, uh, obvious areas that people like to innovate in. So how can we um, scrape data or um, kind of transfer it from one place to another? So people opt into a service somewhere and then we share share data with somebody else or what have you. It's um it's hard it's hard to simplify this and say it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing that um, uh, overall um, we're all being encouraged to be um, more careful with other people's data. I think that's great. Um, but also you can get some interesting innovation and interesting ideas that come out of um, sharing data services. So um, I think places that do do that well are things like the open data um, movement and open government data movement uh, as well. Um, that's a good example for how we can... Um, make data more portable and serviceable. Um, but yeah, in the short term, um, it is kind of stifling maybe the wrong kind of innovation. We've actually got an interesting thing later on in the show about um, designing for evil. So maybe that'll sort of come back around on on that topic as well. Mm. To be revisited. To be revisited. Um, one thing that's being revisited, I have a constant conversation with somebody about these um, O-bikes. Um, um, they were very surprised when I said, these things are just going to end up in the Yarra. My housemate totally pulled one out of the Mary the other day Oh, and ruined her shoes in the process. Oh, no. Was she like tidying up or um, She was tidying up. She's a very good citizen. Mm, that is great. And I think um, Melbourne's... Um, uh, um, 
administrators um, would be pleased with that. Um, there has actually been a new crackdown announced by the uh, EPA uh, today. So um, I know Robert Doyle was complaining about it and a lot of other people were saying it's um, an eyesore and a, um, a nuisance, which in some ways it is. Um, they are providing sort of good access to services for people who maybe can't afford to get a bike or um, kind of can't get around, um, can't carry their bike, people who are coming in from sort of the edge of Melbourne and can't take a bike on the train or what have you. So I think that's good. But there are a lot of them um, either in the Mary or in the Yarra or kind of hanging from a tree. It's really sad. <laughs> it is really sad. It, I mean, this is why we can't have nice things, Joe. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, but the uh, head of Victoria's um, EPA um, has slammed the dockless bike share company um, for the way it came about. Um, they were a little bit cheeky in the way that they came in, um, which I think we've talked about um, before. But they've issued uh, a litter abatement notice to the company, which will be enforced um, in part by the City of Melbourne. Um, and they need to present them with a management plan for cleaning up the bikes or be fined $3,171 for every week the reports are delayed. Um, and they've actually got um, an in individual fine uh, per bike. So the new rules for O-Bike, which will come into effect on June 5, include they've got two hours to remove a bike, creating a hazard. Wow, that's hard. Wow. Um, 24 hours to remove both damaged and vandalised bikes, 24 hours to remove a cluster or group of bikes. I didn't know that was a thing. Rubbish loitering as a group <laughs> <laughs> with intent to be a cluster. Um, 48 hours to remove a bike if it is stuck up a tree or on a roof. They're the ones I really hate. Um, the ones that are kind of like, you know, in your line of sight and you can't do that. And seven days to remove a bike if it's in a waterway. So tough. Good on the EPA, I say. Yeah. I reckon that's a great idea. Um, another good idea. Um, what's going on with uh, HoloLens? So TechCrunch are reporting on research out of Caltech and University of Southern California about Microsoft's HoloLens mixed reality technology. Um, the research shows that these goggle thingies can mm. work as a visual prosthesis for people who are visually impaired, but not by giving them extra visual information, obviously, but by guiding them with audio. Mm. So they've done things like have walls hiss as the wearer gets closer or having objects in the room announce themselves. Mm. And they used seven blind people to test this and they gave them brief instructions, but no training. And apparently the test subjects um, could quite quickly... Um, learn how to avoid obstacles, point to objects, find a chair in the room in less time than they would have without the device. Mm. Amongst other things, they, they also sort of set up a bunch of other tests like um, navigating from the entrance of a building to a room on another floor um, by following headset instructions and things like that. I think it's a great connection to um, maybe how um, some visually impaired people do currently learn at the moment. So if they have a, um, an assistant or somebody helping them, like there's a chair on your left or the door's on your right, um, I, I imagine, um, and do call in and correct me if I'm wrong, you'd, you'd be quite good at sort of um, memorising what's going on or taking the audio cues. So it's just a great insight that um, you develop sort of um, great um, skills and strategies for doing that. And this one mirrors one that um, some people might already have, yeah. which is really clever. I do love, it's such a um, great kind of lateral idea rather than kind of let's render some really nice kind of like 18th century kind of um, Ottomans. Let's just say there's a big red chair there. Well, apparently Microsoft looked into doing something like this years ago, but the hardware wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. um, but now they've got the HoloLens that these other researchers have been doing it for them. Cool. I love it. And I do, do you have, um, what would be some of your favourite sounds, do you think, um, if walls are hissing? What would, you, what would be good for a bed, do you think? 
Oh, gosh. I like a, I, I had an uncle who had a waterbed, so I'd like a, like a slushing <laughs> sound. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of cool. Or, or like um, harps, harps yeah, kind yeah, of like um, yeah. trilling. Yeah, that's that's a nice bedtime sound. That'd be really nice. And the desk just kind of like grinding at you. <laughs> <laughs> like, or like horns honking, like classic kind of like New York City sounds. <laughs> just noise. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's that's great. Uh, I really like the HoloLens stuff. Um, it is um, 7.12.12. Uh, you're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R uh, this week with Joe and Warren. We are going to have a chat to some people on the phone. Um, we... Uh, often scratch our heads and wonder um, how we don't end up talking to more Indigenous Australians about technology and we're very pleased to hear from some people who are doing some great stuff in this space. Uh, we are now joined uh, on the phone um, from sunny Brisbane. I am uh, a little bit jealous. Um, we have uh, Dean Foley and Celeste Carnegie um, who are here to talk to us about um, tech um, up in Queensland. How's it going, guys? Uh, what a money. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good, thanks. How about yourself? Really well. Um, it's a bit frosty down here in Melbourne, um, so I am imagining you guys kind of sitting somewhere in shorts um, and T-shirts or whatever, um, a little bit warmer. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, like for myself, uh, like I lived in Canberra five years when I served in the Air Force, um, but yeah, like I never get used to the cold, and, and when I'm up here, like it's 15 degrees now, and I am outside in shorts, but like I'm freezing, and then I look out <laughs> how cold it is in Melbourne, and it's a bit of a yeah, reality check, so... <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad you could take some time out of your, uh, your night to, to have a chat to us. Um, so there's a few things going on. I think there's a, a great um, uh, thing that's been happening at Fishburners, which is, um, uh, I guess, a, a, a collaboration space and hub for, um, for technology in, in Brisbane. Um, I hear a lot of great things about it. I haven't had a chance to get in there yet, but um, it does sound great. Um, and there also is, um, I guess, an initiative at the moment to surface some, some great ideas from um, uh, Indigenous Australians and um, I think getting some people overseas as well. Is that right, Celeste? Um, yeah, so I think this is, uh, Dean's brought me on board to uh, come and see the event, so I think this is my first, my first event that I'm seeing, uh, which is pretty cool. But uh, So there'll be a lot of young people there. It's really just about exposing them to different you know, career uh, pathways that are options for them, I think, that are viable career pathway options. So mm. uh, being able to... to you know, talk with them about navigating through those pressures and how to combat them is going to be something really interesting but also really fun as well because working with young people is one of my passions. So this is going to be um, something that'll that'll be a highlight for, for my year, I think. Mm. How, how did you become interested in sort of the intersection of technology and, and kind of new thinking and stuff? What's, what's your path to that? Uh, I think... Um, I've always just been a tech, tech savvy, I think, and I've always just been able to um, play around with things and have a go at things and, um, and try to fix things on my own. So um, I've always been an athlete, but I was, I was a netball player, and then when that, when that finished, <laughs> I guess I just um, went down the technology pathway, and I was just in the right place at the right time and was offered a facilitator um, a position as uh, a learning experience designer for Indigenous Digital Excellence. Um, yeah, but so that was all about working in communities and, um, you know, capability building with digital technologies such as drones and coding and um, 3D printing. So, hmm. I mean, I guess the rest is history, but, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty great that this has been with being able to merge working with young people and technology and, and have it as my 
my career is, is pretty amazing. What, so what, for, um, um, for young people from um, First Nations, what, what does um, technology uh, mean for them and, and how are their kind of paths into um, these careers looking at the moment? What, is it um, easy to step into it? Um, are a lot of people thinking about it? Um, well, I think uh, we've been innovating for 60,000 plus years. Uh, we've been engineers, technologists, look at the boomerang and, you know, the brewer on a fish trap. Like, it's, we've been doing this for a very long time. So mm. I think I think now we're just starting to change the resources and the tools that we're actually using. Mm. Um, you know, so we, we have an innate innovative ability as Indigenous people. We just have to tap into it now. Mm. Massively. And I think um, just adding on to that, you know, obviously... Uh, colonization or, or whatever you want to call it um, over the last you know, 200 years um, mm. obviously there's a, there's a big gap disparity gap um, which yes. the government you know try, try to close um, with the close the gap initiative um, which is failing but you know a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth coming up now they have a lot more opportunities than their parents and, and ancestors didn't have to be able to like simple things like go to school and go to university so now we're seeing all these opportunities and obviously you know technology is one of those big ones just keeps growing i think that the digital economy in australia you know it's it's rapidly growing and it's i think a lot more people or youth are looking at it as an opportunity to achieve their self-determination aspirations but also be in a position to give back and and help build sustainable communities Mm. I might I might get this name wrong, but uh, forgive me if I do. So um, the Bariamal um, Budding Entrepreneurs Program, what, what was that? Yeah, so it came out of the, the Give Backathon. So we ran a national charity hackathon um, where we got all these authors and designers and business people together to build uh, tech-based solutions um, for the mm. Indigenous charities. And the prize there was uh, three months co-working space for the winning team at Fishburners, which is obviously the largest co-working space of tech startups um, mm-hmm. in Australia. They've got one in Brisbane and one in Sydney. And and the team that actually won, um, we just said, you know, to give back to our non-Indigenous people, but uh, they helped out a lot and uh, they wanted to give back even more. So they gave back the prize, which was a three months co-working space. And yeah, we just ended up creating a new program out of it where we gave them We've given um, four Indigenous uh, up-and-coming entrepreneurs uh, onto co-working space at Fish Renters to develop their ideas, you know, build their networks and, um, yeah, just keep growing as entrepreneurs. And Celeste, you, you kind of moved into, you did a, a bit of technology and then you moved into netball. Um, what, what sort of kind of got you back into the technology space? Honestly, I was, I was netball first and then technology, ah. but I think... I've always, uh, for quite a while there during high school, it was just net, netball or sports in general was, was it for me. That was always the idea that I was just going to be this, this deadly athlete and that was it. I wasn't aware that there was actual other uh, career options for me. Mm. So I guess that's what it's about really is, is how do we equip our young people with the skills and, and information and knowledge and resources so they can better their own communities. And they can start asking those questions about their futures and having those conversations with each other. Mm. Uh, because half the time we just don't know that, that these jobs exist and that we can be in them. Mm. So, you know, that's what I said before. I'm just, I was just lucky enough to, to be in the right place at the right time and, and know the people that I did. Um, uh, you know, other kids, other young people don't have that 
that luxury. Mm. And, and Indigenous X or, or IDX, you've got a, a program called Flint as well. What, what's what's Flint about? I, well, um, I don't work there anymore. But oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, no, that's good. They, just, they do a lot of work in rural and remote communities, and the work they're doing is really good. But if people wanted to check them out, that's just idx.org.au. But um, um, I work for the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences now as their Indigenous STEAM program producer. So mm-hmm. STEAM being science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Mm, great. Yeah. And do you think um, from, from what both of you have been learning about um, how we sort of um, continue to foster pathways into technology, what, what would be a good way to kind of do things at scale? Or do you feel kind of these um, targeted approaches to um, sort of um, different communities and different parts of Australia works, works best? Well, I think... And this is what people need to understand is that all communities are different. All of our communities are different. I've never been to one community that is the same. Mm. And I've been all over Australia. So we really need to be tailoring and customising our programs to these communities and to the people within these communities. Um, because a lot of the time, you know, the programs that are, you know, offered to us, we can't identify with. Mm. Um, so that's why, yeah, I think it's really important to, you know, um, customise the facilitation of these programs to the individual community. Hmm. Has there been... Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Dean. Add on to that, Warren. Um, I mean, some of these communities too, you know, everybody's... All of them are different, um, but some of them don't even have, like, internet. I mean, yeah. hmm. how are they supposed to get involved with the, the digital economy um, if they can't even, you know, go online and, and, and jump into, you know, Facebook is a luxury for them, which is quite sad. Hmm. Where is that NBN at, as we always kind of scratch our heads about? Who knows? Who knows? I don't don't even know if we've got it here. It's a bit slow. I'm waiting for NBN and Sydney here. I don't know. It's in Brisbane, but I I live about 10 minutes away from the CBD, and there's a few suburbs next to me that have NBN, uh, but they've completely missed my suburbs. I'm spewing (laughs) too. Us us Um, too, Dean. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, so I, I think um, I did read um, in, in some of your, your notes about um, uh, people um, getting a chance to travel to the States um, as a result of some of the work. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Um, and I haven't been promoting it uh, too much, although we'll start doing it soon. Whoops, um, too late. No, yeah, but we're going to have it at the Microsoft Innovation Centre, um, but they've only in Britain their capacity is 100 people and we've already got over 100 people or 100 youth signed up for the event um, so that's why we ended up moving to fish burners but so we're, we're ended up we're going to take because we raised a bit of money through fundraising about five indigenous um, up-and-coming entrepreneurs over to silicon in new mexico which is going to be awesome and mm. we'll spend five days in silicon uh, and attend the uh, tech crutch TechCrunch uh, Disrupt event there, which is three days of um, just a whole bunch of tech startups. I think over 10,000 people attend. They have a, a startup competition and all the big, you know, up-and-coming tech uh, companies get in it and potentially win 50,000. And it's just going to be a really good, good opportunity for them, for the youth who take over, you know, to, to meet meet these, you know, some of the best in, uh, entrepreneurs in the world uh, to hopefully get them to inspire big, mm. um, grow their professional networks. 
uh, with the aim of building the future leaders of tomorrow that have the, the capability and, and capacity to hopefully give back and, and help out other communities when they get back to Australia. But we're also in New Mexico, we're visiting um, a Native American uh, business hub, which is really cool. They recently got a bit of money from the Kellogg Foundation and um, they're doing some really cool incubation stuff there with their um, Native entrepreneurs. So really looking forward to that too. Sounds amazing. Um, if people want to get involved and, and have a good idea, um, what's the best way to reach out to, to either of you, Celeste or Dean? Uh, just tweet me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your Twitter? I'm not really even that active. <laughs> 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 I'm supposed to be just deadly young, you know, tech-savvy person, kind of in your Twitter probably. Um, I... <laughs> um, just uh, yeah, I just put, hit me up on Twitter. That's that's fine. Great. Funny. We'll we'll um, we'll loop you in on our Twitter account if um, if people yeah, are interested. Um, what about yourself, Dean? If people want to get involved down at Fishburners or, or with your work. Yeah, same thing. Like happy to connect. You know, through social media, LinkedIn. Um, send me an email at d.foley at barryamel.com and obviously we've got a Eventbrite um, registration page for the First Nations Youth Summit where they can uh, register and get in contact, contact with us here to hopefully yeah, attend and be a part of it. Awesome. It um, sounds really good, guys, and it's great to hear more about what's going on um, up north as well. Um, so um, appreciate your time for, for coming on the show tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. No worries at all. Hey, one of the things that um, is interesting about um, uh, what I saw somebody refer to as the tech and design monoculture um, at the moment is how we get more diversity uh, into the companies that are making our stuff. Um, the reason this came up is um, Snap CEO um, Evan Spiegel um, has responded to a letter uh, from a, uh, an engineer at Snap from late last year uh, about their toxic culture. And he said it was a wake-up call. Um, there's been some stuff in the media today about it. Um, so they do have some issues. Um, so Snap, um, the people behind um, Snapchat and um, um, the goggles that they had and um, a few other things, um, have some issues around diversity. Um, the piece that came up um, showed that a female engineer who left a role last year um, sent an email around to her 1,300 colleagues talking about um, the qualities that represent um, a good engineer and apparently at Snap, um, they hadn't been clear um, that that could also include women, um, uh, people of colour and uh, a few other um, things that this woman felt were um, underrepresented um, at Snap. She sent it around um, a few hours before her email got deactivated and then it was kind of the water cooler thing at Snap all throughout November and December. Um, it did kind of trickle out and it's been um, talked about quite a bit. Um, apparently around uh, 15% of, um, so it's a very small percentage uh, of um, senior roles um, at SNAP um, uh, fit, uh, I guess, what you would say a diverse profile and around 14% of engineers uh, are women um, at SNAP, which um, is really not up to scratch. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about um, some of the things that are going on here. Um, I think it's disappointing that SNAP brought it up only once the media put it out there um, and that they weren't on the front foot to talk about this and say, hey, we think we have a, a problem here and we need to do something about it. Um, so only once they kind of went into damage control mode and, and kind of the PR machine kicked in, did they um, kind of find a stylish sort of chair and kind of sit down with the media and have a talk about it. But I think um, it's one of the interesting things that has happened um, in recent times, the um, transparency movement, um, which has been forced upon a lot of these companies, 
Um, and to be fair, has been embraced by quite a few of them as well. There are a lot of organisations that publish um, everything um, that goes on their f- uh, finances, um, their privacy data, um, their diversity stats, etc. Some not so um, good at doing that. There's some good pieces out there from people who've been through, um, I guess, the the um, the furnace of being in these high growth businesses, um, and they've got some good advice on um, what we should do about it. So um, one of the rules from uh, a good piece which we'll get out um, uh, on our socials is first one we need to infor- enforce um, a work life balance. So there's this interesting thing where um, a lot of companies do say they encourage um, people to strive for a great work-life balance. Uh, And what they actually mean is there's probably not going to be a lot of boundaries between what your work and what your life is because we're giving you free phones and free laptops and um, there's beds and food and entertainment and sport um, at the workplace. Um, I noticed today there was another big mega complex that's been launched by um, a tech brand with this kind of amazing infinity loop um, roof. And it's kind of one of those places where you think, oh, a lot of people would never leave there. Like if you're working on a project, you would just, you know, sleep at the office and work at the office and your friends are at the office and, and what have you. Do you think it's going to flip back around the other way where it's made that work is for work? Well, so that you can go home. So you can go home. Well, there is good regulation in um, some European countries around yeah. that. That you're not allowed to, um, um, uh, ans- we shouldn't be expected to answer emails after a certain time and communications should shut off and it's actually enforced. So yeah. I think designing for life is a great idea. And I think um, one of the parts of the world that doesn't do that very well um, and has a... Um, strong work ethic but not necessarily a good work ethic is um is um, the united states yeah absolutely they need to work on that um number two was make diversity a priority um which is it's weird that we're still talking about this but i think it does take decades of change to enforce the um the changes that we take for granted and assume um should just be happening well the the people that who the people who are in power now are the ones still the ones who have always been in power and they're Mm. protecting their positions and are going to do that until so it is going to take a long time it feels like all the initiatives are chipping away slowly and i I, it's it's hard when i sit here and want it to happen instantly Mm. Um, I, i can throw some um some pretty basic stats at you so in terms of um uh, so, I mean, in the States, for example, uh, women represent 59% of the workforce um, and only 29% of all um, top tech jobs um, go to women. Um, some of the better platforms are um, uh, Pandora, um, Indiegogo, Groupon. They're um, in the high 40s. Um, some of the ones that are doing not so well are NVIDIA, who did open that um, uh, complex that I talked about with 16% of um uh, women in the workforce, um, Yahoo not so good, um, Uber not so good. Um, there's quite a few here in um, below thirty percent. Um, interestingly, um, I think one of the things that um, we've come across but haven't had a good chance to talk about yet is represent representation from um, ethnic minorities, including um, uh, people who identify as Asian, Latino. Um, um, Latino in particular, I think, is interesting. Um, Percentages kind of in the single figures um, across a lot of these platforms, um, which is crazy. Um, So sort of less than half of the um, population mix um, represented in uh, in these companies, which is crazy. Um, Amazon's doing a bit better. Apple's doing a little bit better there, um, kind of almost parity with the population. 
um, proportion, you'll pack out as well. Um, interesting. So make diversity a priority. Um, number three was cultivate a transparent workplace. So that thing that I was talking about where um, we do have to share all of this stuff. So it's a great way just to get it out in the open. If you have an ambition to do something better, it's kind of like fitness, right? Or being on a diet. If you tell everyone you're on a diet, it's much easier to kind of keep it or that you know want to go for a jog each week. People mm. hassle you. Have people hold you accountable. Exactly right. So publish it, get it out there. Um, and the good thing about this is people who want to be involved with what you're trying to build and make um, value this. Um, so people want transparency, they want it to be published. Um, everybody talks about this stuff anyway, so you might as well just get it out in the open. Um, that's the way to go. Um, be flexible with all of the things. Um, so that's um, everything. It's kind of um, how we work. It's kind of having services at work. So not just kind of like, you know, um, free food for everyone who's developing and like free energy drinks and what have you. It's having things like free childcare and um, free public transport and flexible rules around um, learning uh, and things that make it hard for um, um, uh, everyone who should be involved in these organisations to, to be involved. Um, and the last one was um, listen to people with respect. So um, it's having uh, a forum for everyone to um, talk about the organisations that they want to build and rather than um, shutting off people's email and kind of um, hiding things away in suggestion boxes, um, all of this stuff should be out in the open as a, as a big kind of public conversation. One of the um, good initiatives that I thought was interesting, um, there was a... Um, a uh, a conference um, in the media industry this week um, where they were talking about um, uh, getting gender parity um, in um, certain media um, organisations and they did have an all-male panel talking about getting more women into... Wow. It was actually, it was, an, it was a very technical point because it was fostering the next generation of men help sort of supporting women in so-and-so, but you're like, it should have just been, a, you know, a fairly equal panel or... Just know. have people on your panel have people on your panel it was it was so weird um and i'm sh i'm sure they were trying really hard but also just failing spectacularly oh, good Lord. at doing it um great initiative is called the board list um which um boardlist.com if you go and have a look at it um so if you are running an organization um in australia or um uh, in the states or if you're on a board um the board list helps you find the right candidate for your open board seat so um, they've got over 2,000 qualified women and 3,000 industry um leader endorsements um for these people so um, I think it'd be great if, um, if it was not just about gender diversity, but all kinds of diversity. So um, people from all communities um, who are right for your um, open board seat. Um, yeah. I, I keep reading things, and I don't know if I'm going to articulate this properly, but I'm going mm. to give it a go, mm. about how the way society reflects the way the tools that we use are designed and the f and and built mm. and the fact that so many of these tools are built by straight white men mm. it reflects their reality mm -hmm. and makes things difficult for the rest of the population to use mm -hmm. so in order to change this and to make tools that better reflect and are better used by all of us mm. we need to get a more diverse tech yeah community yeah yeah no you're that's beautifully articulated I, I understand what that means entirely thanks <laughs> um, I'm not good with words well yeah it is the it is the the monoculture that we talked about yeah. like the the um the 
pathways into these jobs and these organizations are dominated by people who manage these pathways well. So it's, um, um, yeah, overrepresented by people who have certain privileges, access to the right education, the right networks, the right connections, um, all of those things that foster good jobs and like easy entry to, to the right jobs. Um, so I think it's kind of, it's not something that we solve quickly, but um, we just need to put the asset on these organisations to, to do better at it and just to kind of demand it. And you can even, I, I think all of us out there um, who use these platforms can um, even just do a simple thing and just send an email or send a tweet or send a, um, a post to whatever service that you use going, I want to know what your um, stats are on diversity um, and I want um, you to be transparent about these things and it matters to me. And if you're not, um, you might not have me as a, as a user and I might tell you know everyone I know and even use your service to, to talk about that. So if That's you feel strongly about it. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah, if, you, if you're on something right now and if you're just kind of like listening to us and listening to us intently, I don't know, maybe you're watching something else as well. I, I often do that. But um, just open up one of your services and just ask them um, what are they doing around diversity and um, reflecting our community a little bit better and how they make stuff. And that takes some of the work away from minority communities who are mm. pushing for these things. If if us people who are in these positions can challenge these companies, then that is going to save some of their labour. Mm. We do just have a few minutes left before uh, Anthony comes in for the International Pop Underground, but it's a couple of things that I thought um, were interesting. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about um, doing evil and um, storage of data and uh, privacy and so forth. Um, students um, around the world are confronting this um, and the unethical side of tech uh, in a designing for evil um, course. Um, which is interesting. Um, so whether it's kind of, you know, surveilling us or um, deceiving users or mishandling or, or selling their data, um, uh, unhealthy habits and uh, I guess things like dark patterns, which encourage people to, to do the do the wrong thing, um, are being confronted um, as part of a course at the University of Washington. Um, it's equipping students with the philosophical insights um, to better identity um, and to, uh, I guess, fix um, the, uh, I guess, um, not rampant, but um, um, uh, frequent um, lack of ethics um, that we see um, uh, around the world. Um, so it's just um, finished its first quarter at the University of Washington um, and um, it's had some good feedback. Um, so it's asking questions uh, such as how, how can AI uh, imitating a human avoid unnecessary deception? Um, how can something like uh, China's proposed citizen scoring system um, be made as user-friendly um, as it could possibly be? That's an interesting one. I think things like access to your own score and being able to contest things um, would be nice. Um, <laughs> probably not in keeping with the design behind it, but who knows. Um, It'd be nice to see that sort of thing become more widespread, you know, for, for many other career paths that, um, that university courses lead to. Mm. They do have compulsory ethics mm. modules, so why shouldn't tech? Exactly right. Um, why shouldn't tech also have an electronic nose, I wonder? Um, so one of the things I don't like to do is um, smell off milk or even taste it. Like, do you think this is kind of do? So I would like to pull out my electronic nose from my pocket and um, put it up against the Pura. I think that would be good. Um, Just people, sniff it, Warren. It's good for you. Uh, no. Um, 
So um, researchers at Germany's Karlsruhe Institute of Technology have been working on the SmellDect uh, project, um, which is very um, sensitive, um, not just because it's a nose, but also um, because it's a secret project. Um, the prototype device is um, it's quite small and incorporates a sensor chip connected to multiple individual sensors. Um, each of these sensors in turn um, are made up of um, a little array of uh, tin oxide nanowires, um, which have a, a very high electrical resistance. But they're working on this idea that we can one day incorporate it into our um, smartphones so we can go around and it is important things like being able to smell um, when things are on fire or when things are off or, or dangerous or what have you. So It'd be fantastic for people who've lost their sense of smell. Exactly right. Um, thank you to our guests. Uh, thank you to Dean and Celeste uh, for talking to us about um, what's going on um, up north with uh, technology. Um, thank you to you for um, tuning in and um, keeping us company um, on a cold uh, Melbourne Wednesday night. Um, up next is the International Pop Underground with Anthony Crew, so you should stick around for that. We've been bought into it, um, but we'll be back next week with some different peoples. Have a good night. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.